Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. We have a fantastic guest with us today, and I'm going to start by telling you what she's done professionally, and then we're going to get around to what's even more compelling about her story. So professionally, our guest, Susan Gold, became known for attaching celebrity talent to projects in New York City, which led her to produce for television and film, and then on to Los Angeles. She convinced modern art legend Andy Warhol to do an on-camera commercial for Pontiac, a talent deal American TV personality Donnie Deutsch still claims as one of his best, helped launch Fox News Channel at the request of Chair Roger Ailes, and on behalf of Disney Channel, persuaded A-list celebrities, including Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Taylor Swift, David Beckham, and more, to be interviewed by cartoon characters Phineas and Ferb. Who doesn't love Phineas and Ferb? But let me tell you something. I'm going to just briefly say all that is super duper impressive. All the great names, all that kind of stuff. So clearly Susan has got it going on professionally. But she was also raised in a challenging and chaotic family system. She was the middle child of five. Now, to fully thrive, she bravely chose to meet the demons of her upbringing that were continuing to repeat. And she wrote a book called Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. And that book is about that journey. Susan, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Dana, I'm I'm delighted to be here, and I love the title. I'm I'm a Scorpio, so I'm so used to diving down and rising up. And I was like, oh yeah, this podcast is for me. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's it. And I I've talked a little bit, not a lot, um, about my personal experience with some toxic family situations, particularly with my mother, and so. That's one of the things that I love about Phoenix and Flame is because I want guests to come on who are comfortable being just transparent and real about what it's really like, because my listeners, they're living it right now. And I know as if I was listening, I would know if somebody was, are they telling the real deal? Do they know what it's really like to be in that horrible, just manipulative, messed up situation, or are they just, you know, waxing poetic? And so that's why I love hearing these stories of people who've been there. So tell us more about whether you want to talk about kind of with your experiences professionally, or if you want to just kind of dive right into what it was like in your family, whatever, however you want to begin, because we're going to have a chance to cover all of it. Um, well, a lot of people get excited when they hear about my, my background, and I am very proud of it. Um, but I would like to focus on the toxic family issues because I feel like this is now my mission. This is my purpose. This is the reason I walked through the fire that I did. And I have incredible courage um, and I have incredible strength and power, but I had to learn that I had that 
coming from the home I did, um, self-esteem, a healthy sense of self-esteem maybe was not my middle name. Got you. Well, when you're, if you're a, a middle child of five, it's a struggle from the beginning of trying to figure out, you know, how do I get, how do I get noticed? How do I get attention? And then when there's toxic dynamics going on, it just, it kind of goes sideways. What was that like for you? There were very few scraps of authentic love doled out and we fought like dogs to collect them. It was a very competitive environment. I always said we could probably give the Kennedy family a run for their money. And yes, being the middle child was quite difficult. I never felt like I fit into that system. I always wondered why. Um, The abuse started early and having had the privilege to use tools like therapy. Um, and through talk, I was able to generate my story. And a lot of those memories of the trauma are somatic, meaning I feel them in my body. My parents absolutely did the best they could. They were from abusive lineages and systems. My mother was horribly abused and then was expected to remain silent about it. And she married one who was a Peter Pan. His father was the child. He didn't want children. And his mother, my grandmother, was very dutiful. You get married, you have children. This is what you do. And so she had my father, and she tried to compensate for her husband's you know, childishness. And my for my father, he could never measure up. So my grandmother compensated for that and may have planted the seeds of narcissism. So it wasn't a healthy dynamic to begin with. And my father um, medicated through alcohol. My mother medicated through food. And back then, diet pills were prescribed, which is speed. So basically we were raised by an alcoholic, a brilliant one. He's an astrophysicist, absolutely genius and a lot of fun. And my mother was equally as ingenious, but she was busy raising five children that she delivered all before the age of 30. And it was tremendous chaos. And the hard thing, Dana, was my mother could be so loving, like so nurturing. And then in a minute later, her eyes are in slits and she's beating you and you have no idea why. So the platform was not stable and it was not a safe environment. You know, I I like the way that you sort of did the chronology and kind of had an understanding of what your parents came from. Those That is very important. I, I tell people we are fallible humans raised by fallible humans who were also raised by fallible humans. And on the one hand, because I, I talk a lot about balance, on the one hand, that information is really, really super important. 
to have forgiveness, to have understanding, to have acceptance of, of what's going on. So we're not eaten up with rage and that type of thing. What's equally important, and I'm going to point out here, and we'll talk later about the retreats and the private sessions that you offer, but you, the way you described it, I thought was really amazing because you said to help others drop outdated storylines and programming in exchange for living from the heart and authentic freedom as adults. And I think in addition to understanding possibly where our parents came from and giving, giving them forgiveness and understanding, but also giving validity and understanding of what our experience was like. Both of those things need to be equally present. And I hear you doing that because I run into some people that they're like, they have, they seem to have this attitude that, oh, well, since my mother or father was abused when they were young, they get a pass that whatever they, whatever they did to me will bless their heart. You know, they were abused growing up and they couldn't help it. And so on the one hand, it's like, yes, they probably did the best they could. And yes, they came from abusive backgrounds, but at the same time, we're still having our experience as well. And I think those two are equally important and present. And I really like the way that you kind of laid that out that way. Yeah, that's that's been pivotal. It, it took me about a three-year period of separation from my mother in my early adulthood to really dissect our relationship and what had happened. And I did ultimately the same with my father over many years. That relationship was a little, little tougher to detonate because he looked like the hero. You know, he was always coming in and playing and throwing us around and, you know, taking us canoeing and mountain hiking and, you know, on all these fun trips. But it was a lot of years for me to unpeel the layers to see he was a child in adult clothing and incredibly selfish and self-serving. That's hard for the mother in that situation, because as a child, you know, you look at that, that father role and you're like, hoo-hoo, he's so much fun and we're going to have fun. And then you have the mother, because some, some listeners out there maybe are the mothers in that scenario and their children are looking at their dad like, oh, he's the fun guy. And, you know, they don't like mom because she's always the one making sure that they take their baths and get their homework done and, you know, do everything that they're supposed to be doing, all doing all their chores. And they don't like her because she's not the fun one, but she, she's not being supported by her, her partner because the partner is still a child in an adult body. And so essentially she has an extra child. She has her kids and then him as well because of the selfishness and that kind of thing. And you had talked about the chaos and the unpredictability. And I wanted to just kind of hover over that for a moment because it's difficult. Like, for example, if you're in a situation that's healthy most of the time, you like, okay, I get it. This is how we work and it's pretty healthy and that's cool. I can relax. I can feel safe. I can kind of surrender to this situation and not have to be guarding and be, be afraid. If it's the other way to the extreme where it's always abusive or unhealthy, then we equally adapt. 
we are, you know, you're always on guard. You kind of set up a certain understanding of what's going on around you. You're always trying to keep yourself safe. You, you have a certain attitude that you can adapt and adopt regarding your family situation. It's not pleasant, but it's, but you know what to expect. And you also kind of are able to detach emotionally. That's a safety valve. But when it, when it swings back and forth, back and forth, that is the hardest thing. And I hear that a lot from people who have had parents who um, have used substances for different reasons because it creates such, like you said, chaos and unpredictability, not really knowing. And then they have these periods where they feel very loving toward their parent and they feel loved and they feel safe. And like you said, in like 10 minutes later, they're getting, you know, smacked. Their parents' face looks so different than it did 10 minutes ago. And it's that whole push and shove, push and shove. What do you remember about that? And how do you feel like that impacted you then? And how do you feel like it impacted you later in life as you were trying to have adult relationships? That dynamic was constant. You described it to a T. And ultimately, and quite early on, I just tried to find safety and staying quiet and being as perfect as I could be. I remember one Sunday afternoon, I polished the kitchen cabinets to try to, you know, make my mom happy. You know, I was cleaning up the kitchen and I decided to polish the cabinets. I was down in the basement on the beanbag on my belly watching Barbara Walters because she was, I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to get to New York City as quickly as I could and be like Barbara (laughs) Walters. All of a sudden I hear this slur of curse words. Susie, get up here right now. What did you do? You know, and I'm being lambasted because I've left polish on the cabinetry. And I really wanted to fix that circumstance with all my heart for my own well-being and the well-being for my sister and my brothers. But it was impossible, even when you thought you were doing something that would contribute positively, there was some kind of odd punishment So I just stayed focused on when the day of escape would come, what I would do. And then I I stayed out of the house as much as possible, which added to my ability to overachieve, become a workaholic, take exceptional risks, discount self in place of others, the well-being of others. And this caused huge problems. I did leave that home, Dana, the morning after high school graduation. I left at 7.45 a.m. And I did go back, but not frequently. And um, it was really terrifying. I think a lot of us never are able to leave that home. Um, And physically, I left. And it would be many years later until I could leave on different levels, psychological, emotional, because early in my adulthood, when I had gotten to New York City, I realized, wow, I took a slug from the wine jug to ask for a raise at work. That's just like dad opened the dry sink at 7.30 a.m., popping the cork and glug, glug, glug with the whiskey bottle. I think I have something to look at. Gee, I'm lying when it's just as easy to tell the truth something's wrong 
my goals are slipping away. My friends are becoming more seedy, fair weather characters. And so that's when I got help and realized I had to clean up from addiction. And four and a half years clean, I became suicidally depressed, clinically depressed. I was recreating a role that I had played in my parents. I'd often break up their fights and negotiate to bring some kind of civility back into the the home. And this was early. I mean, yeah, preteen, I was doing that. And that's what I was doing at this, this job, this, this contract I had, I was brokering between two parties and it punched so many buttons. I ended up splitting out of my body. My friends realized it and they got me to a treatment center. And that's where I learned about clinical depression and how to work with it. And it was a 10 year period where I was often on medication to help me get to a level playing field where I could actually do the work I needed to do, the self-examination to heal. Another thing that I realized, I was in many narcissistic relationships because that's what I had cared for. I cleaned up my father's messes. I was able to pretend it was all okay. I would pull the pieces back. My mother, one day I came home from school, I saw my father's clothing flying out the second floor window onto our front lawn. And I was picking up the clothes as fast as she could throw them down to keep my father in the house. I didn't think that I would be able to survive without his pseudo protection. So all these things, difficult, yes, and they leave remnants but I feel if we're willing to face the truth and the reality of it and examine it with an open heart, ultimately, we can be free of those patterns. Thank you for sharing that. Gosh, that's so helpful. And so many things are in my mind right now to, to just kind of unpack a little bit and hover over things that you shared. Because um, I And listeners, as, as Susan's talking, I'm just making notes right and left to, to things that I want to just kind of emphasize that you shared. So one of the things I wanted to say was it's frequently when we have, we have uh, traumas that haven't been processed and we're still wounded, then we do go out in the world and we get triggered and feel it in our bodies. You know, like you had mentioned earlier that you feel things somatically, you feel it in your body and that is a, that is a thing. I mean, your heart's pounding you. I mean, there's a part of the brain that thinks, oh my gosh, it's getting ready to happen again. And that's, that's something that's very profound. Now I did want to point out a couple other things. You said that you were 10 years, you know, being diagnosed as clinically depressed and dealing with that and trying to seek out therapy and dealing with the addiction issues. I want to hover over that for just a moment and say, 10 years, okay, because people sometimes have this idea that other people just pop in and out of a therapist's office or they just have this epiphany one day and then two weeks later, they're all fine and dandy. They're just skipping down the sidewalk. And then by contrast, they feel like they're such a failure because they're having a hard time and it's taking them what they feel like is so much longer to deal with issues. And that's why I wanted to point out Sometimes these journeys take a minute. 
it takes us a while to do this. I did want to ask you, you had talked about a pattern that I hear so much in my sessions with patients and it's the, it's the, the people pleasing, the perfectionistic people pleasing and feeling like if, if, if you don't please somebody, and this is how it seems to play out in their adult lives, that something really bad is going to happen because that's what they learned growing up that I better, I better be perfect and I better make sure that that person, that key person or persons are, are pleased with me and pleased with life in general, or something really, really bad is going to happen because that's what the child part of them learned. I mean, when you think about that in your life, do you, do you have other memories of, of other people in your life of feeling like you had to be perfect and, and, and be pleasing and that there was no space. It wasn't okay to just be human. It wasn't okay to make a mistake. That's followed me almost my entire life. I deal with it currently. The decibels turned much lower. It used to be between eight and 10. I mean, in college, I was a fine arts major, but I didn't fit in with the women with pink hair and hairy armpits and smelling like garlic, jumping off ladders, you know, it was a modern dance department. And so I rushed and became a pie-fi, like what a dichotomy. And that I was a chameleon and there'd be only so much information you would get out of me. I mean, even well into my recovery, I would talk with friends about feeling like I was layered in saran wrap and I couldn't really connect authentically because it felt too dangerous, even though I wanted to, because I was so fearful of the judgment or not being worthy or not having value and that it was all a ruse. And that's been very costly to my own being my own ability to live with fullness and in freedom here. That is, you're just hitting so many things, Susan, just nail on the head. You just explained something so well. I heard a person recently describe their scenario as they say, I don't feel like a real person. The way you described it was the reason why. The reason why behind that was because it's too dangerous to to take that saran wrap off and to be authentic and to be real. They feel like it's too dangerous because of, they feel like there's going to be rejection and abandonment waiting for them. And so their choices, apparently they feel, are either stay wrapped in saran wrap or else be rejected and abandoned. It's like a, it's like a, a double bind they don't see a way out of that. And to say, they looked at me and said, I just, I don't feel like a real person. I don't know how to be a real person. I don't feel like I'm a real person. And I was like, that's, that's what you just described. And for me, it, it took what I see as perfect storm. I did move from New York to Los Angeles for what I thought was a great career opportunity. And it was Dana. But I think ultimately why I moved was to meet one of my greatest gurus of all time. And that was the man who would become my ex-husband. So he was almost straight out of the golden age of Hollywood films. And um, 
I felt like I had met Prince Charming. This was finally the ideal person. He was so complimentary. He said and did the right things. We were in similar fields and we had both grown up in the same state. And there's just a lot of circumstances that were really of interest. But ultimately, he also had grown up in a very toxic home and had never examined the trauma. So he was still carrying it. And ultimately, what I learned was he was had created a false persona. I felt like, wow, that's straight out of a movie, that line. And they started to add up. And we were in a long-term marriage and coupleship. And ultimately, the mask fell. And I had to face the fact that there was an expiration date to the marriage. And I tried to make him accountable through mediation. And we came to the last point of contention. And he folded his arms and his eyes went in those cold lizard slits. And he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for divorce. And that little intuitive voice, you know, that one that we like to push away, said to me very loudly, this is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And it was a calendar year of him living in the master bedroom of a home I had purchased and maintained for our family. And me on a mattress on a partial conversion in our garage, keeping no contact, no eye contact, only in writing. And one calendar year to be able to get to the point where I could write this man his six-figure check and he could move on to his next source of supply. And that was the billboard, Dana, it took to fall on my head to understand my power as a human being, my value, my worth, and to gain an incredible sense of compassion for who I am and all I've walked through, as well as compassion for him, his journey, where it took him, and the life that he was living And I think that's been one of my most profound gifts walking this earth thus far and just the unbelievable presence to know that I was moving through a gift and that it would have preciousness and change my life. And it has because of that experience and the way that I chose to work with it, I have freedom in my life. Wow. So what, what truth do you feel like opened up to you in that experience with him? That I was carrying the weight. And that's what I did as a child. I carried weight that did not belong to me, weight and responsibility. And that's what I was doing in my relationships and specifically doing in that one. And it was draining me. Literally, I felt drained the longer I was in that relationship. And believe me, Dana, I wanted to keep that marriage together. I wanted to be the success that my parents were not. And I am a fighter. But ultimately... I had to surrender. The universe 
told me, literally, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to walk you through this, but yeah, time's up here. <laughs> oh my gosh, Susan, what, what an experience you had. And I want to say for, for listeners, if, if there's anybody out there that's in a relationship that is similar to what Susan has just described, that individual is never going to take responsibility. That person is never going to own their own stuff. They are going to, because they still have that, that those wounds and those traumas that they have not faced. I said, you have to face it. You have to feel it. And then you have to process it. Those three things have to happen. And there's people out there walking around all over the place that have done none of that. And if they haven't faced it and felt it and processed it, when things start going sideways, guess who they're going to blame? They're not going to look in the mirror and accept responsibility because they can't see it. It's like they're blind. And so they're going to blame you. It doesn't mean you're responsible. Just because someone else blames you for something doesn't mean it's your responsibility. It just means that they can't accept it on their own. And I did want to point out here real quickly, you talked about feeling so drained because you know, I'm known as the queen of boundaries. I have a passion for boundaries. Uh, I had to live it. I mentioned briefly my toxic relationship with my own mother. And, and plus, I've seen my patients go through this so, so, so much. And I started noticing how boundary dysfunction was at the source of so much dysfunction and just overall. And so that's what happens when when we're owning stuff that doesn't belong to us, we're carrying around stuff that's supposed to be in someone else's yard and we're walking around with it. It does. It is. You described it beautifully. It is draining and it doesn't belong to you. And when you can let that go and you can wish them well, and it doesn't mean they're going to like it. Usually they're not going to like it, but again, back to boundaries and the people pleasing thing, we have the right to own our own stuff to say, you know, I made a mistake. I'm a, I'm a fallible human being. And I said this, or I did this and I wish I hadn't. And I'll try my best not to do it again. And we get to own that stuff and accept our own fallibility. And at the same time, not own how someone else is going to hear that, how they're going to respond. We have no control over that. And when we're trying to control it, it it's like you said beautifully so 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 draining it's just you can't do it you can't keep doing it on and on let me ask you this what is one spiritual truth that you've had thrust upon you that was a question that you had listed in your your pod match questions and that was really interesting to me what was one spiritual truth that you had thrust upon you? So it may turn you on my head, on your head when, when I share this, but you know, you know, that spiritual axiom, you point one finger out and three come back at you. Well, that is helpful, but when you're an empath and you're engaging with one who may have narcissistic tendencies, that's a very toxic axiom to work with. And that axiom kept me in an abusive relationship for a very long time. I kept 
looking back at myself. Why am I so stingy? Why can't I just step up? Why can't you just be more gracious about taking care of the mortgage yet again? You know, all that stuff. Um, so I had to be very careful in dissecting that axiom as it pertained to my circumstance. I was the first one to run in and say, let me fix it. I'm sorry. Let me take care of that. I'm wrong. I, I, I shouldn't have been so cruel. It's me, 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 me. And that landed me on that mattress on the floor in the garage in the partial conversion of my home. That is another excellent vantage point that you're pointing out is because that whole thing about when you point at someone, there's three fingers back at you. That's generally for people that don't really want to accept responsibility. They're wanting to blame, well, he, well, if she, well, if they, well, they, 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 he, she, they, and they're not looking at themselves. That would be more something that would be helpful to a narcissist. Although it's not going to do any good because someone with a narcissistic tendency, they never see that. Even if you, and I'm telling you, if I hadn't done this myself, I wouldn't have believed it. But even if you say it directly to them in very clear and concise terms, and I'm not one that's been known for having issues communicating myself. When I, when I want to say something, I'm pretty clear about it. And I figure out how the person needs to hear it. Do I need to scream it? Do I need to whisper it? Do I need to be logical? Do I need to be creative? How, how do I need to be so the person can hear what I'm saying? I'm very good at that. But with this individual in, interacting, the, the narcissism, just it's like they can't. It's like you're talking Russian. They will not hear it. It doesn't matter what you say or how you say it. They will not accept that responsibility. Those three fingers pointing back at them, they don't ever see those things. And you've got an excellent point about people who are empathic and empathetic. Their tendency is to blame themselves for things and kind of steering this back to boundaries. It's so important that we see what actually belongs to us and what doesn't, you know, what we think, what we feel and what we do. Yes, that's in our yard. But what someone else thinks, what someone else feels and what someone else does is on the other side of the fence. And they can blame us, you know, like you can have a neighbor that's blaming us because their grass is too high. It's like, go mow your own damn yard. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's not my yard to mow. If your grass is too high, it's because you don't want to get out there and mow your own damn grass. And that's your responsibility, not mine. And they don't like to hear that. <laughs> but you, I mean, I just, I don't still see how people can live a healthy life and have healthy boundaries or have healthy relationships unless they have healthy boundaries. And that's why I'm just, just so uber passionate about that and my courses and teaching people about boundaries and that type of thing. And speaking of courses and such, I want to make sure because you have learned so much and have come so far and you're, I mean, you've got the street cred, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're legit. You've got the street cred. I mean, you're, you're just not somebody that's just opened a book and is out there trying to, you know, say, oh, I know about this and that when you don't have any personal experience. You have a lot of personal experience. In addition to, you know, the research that you've done, the book that you've written, you've spent time. So, Susan, you said that you are now 
leading retreats, webinars, workshops, and private sessions. And again, I'm going to repeat what I said earlier to help others. Now listen to this listeners. Listen, if you're doing something else, stop, listen to help others drop outdated storylines and programming in exchange for living from the heart in authentic freedom as adults, because you're not a kid anymore. You're an adult now. So if you're tired of those outdated storylines, this is a place you can go that would help you to do something about that. So if I have a listener out there that's like, oh my gosh, Susan, she is the real deal. I just need to connect with her. She can help me get to this next level. She can help me figure out what's going on. Where do you want them to go? Just go to susangold.us. It's my name first and last, susangold.us. Got it. Susangold.us. And I'm going to put that in the, in the show notes. Susan, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your willingness to, to meet here with me and my listeners and be so open and authentic about your struggle. Thank you. And thank you, Dana, for the amazing platform and forum you're producing. I know it takes a lot to produce these episodes. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of technology. So we thank you for the amazing content you're bringing forth. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's just, it's from the heart. It's from the heart and wanting us really to grow and and bond together that we're, we're all in this together. We can be honest. It's, there's a safe space where we can be honest about what's going on. So guys, I know you have heard something today that is so impactful and maybe possibly not for you personally, but maybe you're thinking, I have a friend or I have a family member or a coworker that is going through this exact same thing. I see these exact qualities in that person or in yourself. I'm telling you, take the link, copy and paste it in a text, copy and paste it in an email, put it up on your favorite social media platforms, get the episode out there so we can reach people who are hurting. We can help grow our Phoenix and Flame community. I hope you guys have had a wonderful day. I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.